0: Hey, if you're a business owner, you work your tail off. So guess what? When you start making a profit, you should celebrate that. But I've talked to a lot of business owners that they get to the point where they're making a profit and then a weird thing happens. They start to feel guilty. From the Ramsey Network, this is the Entree Leadership Podcast, where we help business leaders grow themselves, their teams, and their profits. I'm your host, Daniel Tardy. And in today's episode, we've got a couple of great conversations about what do you do with your profit? Now, certainly your profit should fuel your purpose, but there can be a lot of emotions tied to profit and making money and actually winning in your business. And, you know, you don't have profit. All you want is profit. But you start to have some profit. You start to make some money. Then all these new feelings come up. So we're going to talk about it in today's show. So we've got two great conversations coming at you. First of all, Hannah Stolls. Hannah is currently an associate professor of supply chain management at Lipscomb University and executive director of the Wheaton College Center for Faith and Innovation. She's also the author of the new book, Wisdom-Based Business. And then after that, you're going to hear from our very own Mark Floyd. You guys have heard Mark on this podcast. He's a fan favorite. He is our CFO, certainly knows how to make sure that we are making a profit as a business, but then all the mechanics of how you actually allocate the profit, the surplus, to go to the right places in terms of reinvesting into the business. You know, how much should you reinvest versus take home? And then when you reinvest it, should it go to marketing, hiring people, et cetera? You know, so he's going to break that down with us. And George Camel, Ramsey Network host, uh, is going to jump in there and be your tour guide for that conversation with Mark. So you don't want to miss that. But up first, we've got our conversation with Hannah. Hannah and I talked about the fact that many business owners early on become so obsessed with making a profit. And let's be honest, they should be because if you're not profitable, you don't get to stay in business, but you can get so tunnel visioned on just making a profit that by the time you actually are making a profit consistently, you can look up and feel a little sense of, okay, what's the priority now? You can almost feel a little bit of vertigo. So when you finally get to that glorious day that you're making a profit and you're making it consistently, then what do you do?
1: I think the challenge is profit has been the goal Profit maximization has been the goal for so long. And, you know, I think you can go into uh, a business school. You can learn the algorithms. You can learn how to squeeze every transaction for every penny. But then at the end of the day, once you have profit margin, once the transaction, you know, the sale's done, um, if there's no purpose beyond that, it's It's literally just like a wheel, you mm. know that's like the is it the hamster in the wheel. you know that's constantly just like running around just like <laughs> chasing kind of yeah. chasing transactions and you know like maybe you have customers that come back again and again. But if there's no purpose beyond just that transaction, it starts to really create a myopic space mm. in terms of what we do in business. Yeah. and it's kind of boring. It's much more exciting if you can like make money, generate value. like having continuing customers says your company has value. People come back and buy from you again and again. And when you generate value, then you have opportunity to build out your product quality you have the opportunity to invest in employees to create differentiation in mm. unique ways. And I think that's where, you know, that, that purpose and, and profit piece, they somehow get, you know, they don't get told in the same story. Mm. And it's really important.
0: Yeah. And, you know, beyond just being boring, if the team isn't bought into something that's bigger than they are, mm-hmm. they leave. Yeah. There's something about humans that they want to be plugged into something that really matters.
1: Yeah. And if, if it's all, if the only focus is money, you're always going to be able to find somebody who will pay you a little bit more. And so that's a challenge in terms of like, how do you get employees to stay engaged? And there's so much evidence now out there uh, in management research saying that people, you know, we went from like the Toyota production system. You know, mm. we kind of hit that point where we shifted from the assembly line. That was like, you know, do you know that Ford quote? Where Ford says, you know, I, I, I just need a pair of hands and I get the whole person, mm. you know, like.
0: I haven't heard that. but he, he
1: actually said that about us. Well.
0: It's kind of sad. <laughs> yeah.
1: They they say he said that. So we, we say he said it. Um, but but then, from you know,
0: that, I mean, that school, I mean, that whole generation of, you know, industry, it, it really was about how efficient can we make it? I mean, a yeah. lot of the lean startup, Six Sigma, all this kind of, not lean startup, but but lean management and Six Sigma really was all about optimizing the supply chain. And very had very little to do with culture and people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But it got it got the needle moving, mm. which is great. So you look at Ford and like full assembly line production, and it was all efficiency. And so then you move into lean. And of course, you know, it's, all, it's still about efficiency and like squeezing out waste. You know, you have all the wastes mm-hmm. and stuff. But it was the first time lean started saying, well, we do actually want people to ask why. So now you're engaging their hands and their heads. Right. So now they get to bring their mind to work. Um, and so it's still kind of, you know, squeezing it, you know, down to the the pennies and stuff. And what we've seen in, in more recent years coming out of, you know, the Kellogg um, School of Business, Northwestern, and in, in both marketing and supply chain, is that people need to bring their hands to get the work done. They need to bring their minds so they can ask questions and continuous improvement is dependent on it. But if you tell people not to bring their spirituality and their purpose and their – really what's tied into that is their morality mm-hmm. – then how are they going to be ethical in how they make decisions on the job?
0: Yeah, it sounds like you're saying you need their hands, their head, and their heart. Absolutely. So when you're looking at an organization that you've done all this research and and you've seen these case studies that has a clear purpose – how does that show up in the way that they're communicating about that? What are the, you know, because you, you can have something on the wall or the the founder or CEO can have that written and it's in a drawer somewhere. Um, but what are the critical pieces of making sure that purpose is infused into the organization appropriately in a way that actually manifests as more productivity, more profit, et cetera?
1: Yeah, this is a great question. It's really central to the research I've done for the last 10 years. So thank you for this this question. <laughs> a <little underhanded> um, <laughs> picture. Good. Yeah, I'll try to narrow it down to, uh, you know, a less than ten year answer. Um, <laughs> so it, it's so interesting when you think about how how do you articulate, how do you actually execute purpose that goes beyond profit, right? What does that look like? And you know, the older models, the the focus, um, resources were really scarce. Money was scarce. Labor was plenty. And land was plenty. Mm. And now we live in a world where, you know, thanks to Bitcoin, it seems like we're just creating <laughs> um, new currencies. <laughs> Everyone's and, gonna
0: have Bitcoin and live on Mars if this keeps scaling out the way. Exactly, it's exactly. Yeah.
1: And we're gonna have robots because labor's now scarce and land's now scarce. We need to go to Mars to get land and use robots. Yeah, for I'm labor. not going, but no. they,
0: they can. My grandkids can.
1: Yeah, I'm not going to go either. So in the meantime, okay. I think what we can do <laughs> um, is in order to kind of in, infuse purpose, you know, it's a lot of um, socialization. And a lot of times when we talk about like employee engagement and all of that, we think like within my company, like if you're the leader of the company, you know, how do I engage my employees? How do I get this culture, this purpose infused in my own organization? But in in my book, I talk a little bit about this, you know, profit is a is a starting line in business. You know, it's the standard.
0: Profit is a starting line. It's a starting line. Meaning like permission to play.
1: Right, right. You're not in business if you aren't profitable Mm -hmm. in some capacity, wherever that profit comes from. You still have to have more than you spend or you won't be in business Mm -hmm. long. And so that's that's kind of the, the starting point. But then once you start looking at branding and reputation, this is where purpose really comes into play. And I think reputation and branding, depending on like if you're more marketing oriented or supply chain, you know, um, you look at them differently. But so now instead of just looking at the culture within your company and your employees, now you need to think about how does our purpose impact our customers? How does our purpose align with our suppliers and the other companies we're working with? So this is the challenge as you grow as a company. Like you start out, maybe you're a one-person shop. And you're just thinking about like, you know, how can I create this great product that's going to change the world and make some money? And then you have employees and you're like, how do I get my employees excited about mm-hmm. this purpose so they can make this great product that's going to, you know, make money? And then you're like, well, now it's changing my customers' lives. Now I actually have some, you know, agency to impact my suppliers, you know, and, and so it kind of has to grow across your entire supply chain. Talk about
0: a company whose purpose may not be as obvious for why their purpose matters, to their customers. Because, I, you know, with Dave Ramsey and what we do here at Entree Leadership, a lot of people go, well, obviously, you guys have this mission. You're changing lives. The very product that we're putting out is a... Is a mission, purpose-driven thing that intersects in people's lives. It gives them hope. There's a very emotional uh, side of this thing. Mm-hmm. But if you're, you know, if you're doing long care or if you're doing something that's more of a consumer service, that's like it's it's not as clearly um, missional in that way. What companies have you seen that have connected? purpose to not just themselves and their team, but but actually the customers in a way that shows up the way you're talking about.
1: Yeah. This is one of the, the advantages of doing all applied research where I get to work with a lot of companies and explore how how do you do this. And it's been interesting. A lot of the companies we've worked with are tend to be in the southeast of the US, you know, where there's, you know, some more overt, you know, faith and mm-hmm. those sorts of things are a little bit more kind of um, the Bible belt a little kind bit. Of, kind of the Bible belt. But you know, we've worked in mining companies. We've worked in HVAC distribution companies. We've worked with, um, you know, companies that create candles and scents. And, you know, across all of those organizations, they have purpose beyond obviously just delivering screens to mining, to mines. And really where, where you see their purpose come through, you know, they, they are delivering really quality products to the market and meeting a customer like a, a market need. But a lot of their purpose actually is around the culture of the company, how they treat their employees, um, the things that they sow into their communities in terms of, you know, not just like philanthropy, but also building pro- programs yeah. and developing skills and, you know, looking at where do we have value beyond just our central product that can be an opportunity to really serve and give back to people. Yeah, And so we've seen it, you know, I, I love, I, you know, I think about like the logistics industry and you're talking about your friend in the 3PL industry. <laughs> I love industry. How big
0: you smile when you say logistics. <laughs> it
1: is. I mean, I can't believe more people don't know <laughs> all about it. <laughs> It is the best. I'm happy that you're happy
0: about it. it Let's is, put it that way. You
1: know, and this is the year that I get to launch a supply chain program and in Nashville, Tennessee. it's a, Life is good. Um, but in the logistics industry, if you think about even the, the 3PL space, 30-party logistics providers, and the service that they provide really – has an awesome purpose. You think about small companies that can't get good rates. You know, if they're working with FedEx Freight or UPS Freight, you know, they're the smallest players. So FedEx and UPS are going to bring in their top, top companies, like 100 companies that probably make up 90% of their revenue. So if you're the other 15,000 of their customers, You're
0: at the bottom of the total. You point. have no
1: negotiation yeah. power. You're just going to get, like, you might as well be one of us just shipping so a in package.
0: So that case, a 3PL whose purpose is to, to help this more mid-tier group of companies. It's like they're really advocating in a way that that a different, you know, like FedEx or whoever can't. It's yeah. it, There's a passion. There's a drive. It's like the founders see something in the market where these guys are the underdog and we're going to go do something about it.
1: Yeah, and those underdogs are making products that we want access to. Mm. So it does get, I mean— Obviously, I could give you really exciting 3PL logistics examples, but um, (laughs) where there is, you know, that obviously they need to be profitable in it, but they're also doing something that's helping other companies and really helping consumers.
0: Say more about how purpose, you know, when you get to profit that's above operational, Mm -hmm. the bills are paid, the team's paid, we're able to do annual increases, the, the owners are starting to make, you know, a little bit beyond what just their basic needs. It seems like your purpose will really or the, your absence of a purpose will really inform what you do with surplus profit?
1: Absolutely. I love this. And there's um, this ancient example of you know what what are some of the roles that excess profit can have. So there's this like really this this um, concept of gleaning in the agricultural world of the ancient Near East. and you know you have you have your field, you build your crops, and then at the end of the year you you harvest all the crops that you need for your household. And they would have margin around the edge of their field that was excess crops that they actually didn't need for their household. Mm. And so this would be I, I like to think about it like this is the agricultural version of profit margin today.
2: And so kind of with surplus? This, yeah, it's yeah. their
1: surplus. And they had this concept of gleaning so that the poor and the needy in the community could come in and work and glean the leftover sheaves for themselves. Mm. And I love this picture because, you know, obviously, I mean, I guess they could have harvested that wheat for somebody else, I mean, um, or, you know, for themselves for next year. I'm I'm not sure what else you do with leftover agricultural products.
0: Well, I mean, if if you're thinking we just got to top off our silo.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: If that's topped off, we got to build another silo. I mean, if you have kind of a hoarder mindset as the owner of that field, it's all about – more silos getting full and you're not, it's not getting back into the community that other people can take advantage of that.
1: Exactly. So you don't, do you need safety stock or do you need help people around you? Right. And so uh, I love that, that idea because it's, it's been around for 3000 years Hmm. and definitely shows up in the wisdom literature. So I think today, when you look at your profit, you've paid your bills, you know, you have margin. You know, hallelujah. <laughs> you get to stay in business. Um, Which is a
0: big feat. Not everybody makes it to that point.
1: This is so true. This, I mean, we kind of like take it for granted as business professors because we work with profitable the successful firms. ones. Yeah, right. Because right. they can pay us to come and do research mm-hmm. with them. Um, and so, you know, obviously they have excess profit they can share with us too. So I'm grateful for that. But, um, you know, we actually worked with one company and they had bigger growth than they had projected. And so they got to the end of the year and they said, wow, we have much, much more profit than we anticipated. And, you know, they had investors and they went to their investors and said, you know, we could just, um, you know, kind of pocket this or we could start this whole program for our employees and actually agreed together to instead of like kind of pocketing that money or they were going to invest it in people.
0: To be generous.
1: To be generous and to really engage their employees. So not only does it all of a sudden make their employees feel more engaged, but then their productivity goes up. And so I think there's there's something about generosity that feeds mm. generosity. So when you're generous, it's almost like the person you're generous now has license to be generous with the next person. And that's a pretty cool thing to feed within companies. I want you
0: to say a little bit more on this generosity thing. Uh, what I have observed here at Ramsey and... I've even seen it in my own life and our, our giving habits, getting these, these values of generosity in place early on matters a lot because there's kind of this, uh, this fallacy that, okay, when I have a big surplus, then I'll figure out how to be generous. And certainly you can scale generosity more when you have more to be generous with, um, But exercising these muscles early on when you just have a little bit, even if it's just a small percentage of your profit you can share with your team. And so here at Ramsey, day one, Dave and Sharon sat down and said, hey, we're going to take profit and whatever profits there apply a small percentage and we're going to share it. And it was pennies early on. But that principle of generosity was that seed was in the ground way back then. And now we're sharing millions. And I mean, we're doing profit sharing and comp plans that would blow people's minds. But we've got we've got the success that goes with that. But we didn't become successful and then decide to be generous. What have you found with companies who are really generous? Is this, is this a theme?
1: I mean, it's almost essential. So if you think about this, um, you start off, if your only goal starting off is to, to be profitable, once you scale, do you know how hard it is to change once you're already scaled? Add like that line item. I mean, too, if yeah. we learned anything from the Suez Canal, right, small ships are easier to maneuver than big ones. And so, really, if you don't start off with a business model that plans for generosity, that says, we're going to build in, you know, skills training, we're going to plan in a financial plan, we're going to have a product plan, that we're going to look strategically at our suppliers and the customers we target so that we have profit and space to be generous. Once you're huge, it's really hard to shift the boat you at that point. You retrofit it. Yeah, it's, I mean, you can, but you end up undoing bad things mm. to try to do something good. And it's almost like all right, well, I'm glad we can start from today, but shoot, I wish we could take those that last decade back too. And so as you grow, I think that there's so much more, even industry buy-in and excitement from investors. If you have this strategy as you grow, and it's not something that you're pivoting to once you have resources for it.
0: Mm. A lot of business owners listening to this, I imagine, are going, okay, this is great we've kind of got a purpose and we're, we're trying to figure out profitability. And, you know, a lot of people we work with and that listen to this podcast are successful. I would say on both those fronts and in, mm-hmm. in large ways, we talk about it a lot. What would you say to that person who's going, I, I want to double down on making sure that our team knows our purpose and, and really being intentional with what we do with our profit to connect it to that purpose. And I, I think oftentimes, the, I'm not going to call it a cop out because this isn't necessarily bad, but oftentimes it's like the easiest thing to do is say, "Let's just give this to a charity" or "Let's just do a kind of some kind of a giving thing." But there's a way you can actually bake it back into your business strategy. You know, out of, out of the the surplus and the overflow. Yes, you're being generous. Yes, you're sharing. But you're also thinking of all those things you just listed. Think about your annual planning. Think about your your three three to five year roadmap. Like how are how is extra profit actually going to fuel the strategy going forward and the the advancement of the purpose and the mission of this organization? Where do you start? Um, is it in the budgeting process? Is it in the Um, kind of the strategic planning? Is it putting a core value on the wall? What are the handful of practical things you tell that business owner? Hey, here's, based on the research, here's the things you really need to be thinking about right now.
1: Yeah, all of it is going to rise and fall based on the leader. So if you don't buy into it, you can't do it surface value. Like you really do have to buy into it as a business leader. And then I do think it flows, it starts with the value, you know, and the business leader has to demonstrate value, um, you know, for this purpose that gets communicated um, that those values become kind of the norms and culture of the company that then get articulated into strategy. So values drive mission. Mission drive strategy. This mm. is a soldier in me talking, right? Um so values are gonna drive your mission. And then you think about the mission driving your strategy. And then you have your corporate strategy, right? That is the goal of your company. Why, why do you exist as a business leader? But then within your company, you have different business units. So you have marketing that faces the customers, you have your accounting team that's you know looking at how do we balance it all. You have your um supply chain, you know, your chief supply chain officer in the production, room, production, service. Production, sales, operations, yeah. and they all they all need to have strategies that are then aligned with those values. They're like
0: puzzle pieces that all come together around this bigger strategy.
1: Yeah, and so if it's going to happen, first you have to buy in and make it a value that's articulated. If there's no Uh, language, it won't happen. Yeah,
0: what does that sound like? What's an example of, you know, because we say value and it almost feels like this fleeting yeah, value, that sounds like a good virtue. But when we say it's articulated in a way that's more concrete, what's what's an example of that?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of different examples of how companies do it. You know, there's the put it on a plaque in the you know the lobby, mm-hmm. you know, have it on everybody's signature black. And, you know, I, I came, PsyOps was my starting place in the Army, and I've taught marketing for lots of years of my career. And, you know, you want to have terminology, language in front of people frequently, often, every day. You know, you want to start the day saying, welcome to our value. You want to sign off on your emails saying, aren't you glad we have these values? Mm. And have every leadership meeting be like, you know, I'm glad you're part of these values. And, you know, in in some form of inception, you want it to be in front of people all the time. And then it becomes accepted. Like when I come to this place of work, these values are going to be central. And so you can be really purposeful in how you, you know, create those those values within the culture.
0: Tremendous energy, time, money, resources here at Ramsey on communicating the values. You know, we'll yeah. take an entire staff meeting, a thousand team members will sit in staff meeting and we might take an hour just unpacking one of our core values. And we're telling stories about how that that became a core value, what it looks like in action. We'll celebrate when a team is exemplifying that core value. And so we kick off the week with staff meeting and then you're talking about communicated everywhere. It's on the walls in our stairwells. When you When you walk out, there's a sign, you know, when you walk out to your car at the end of the day, Mm-hmm. And it says somebody's life was changed because you came to work today. You know, so again, boom, it's in your face. It's yeah. a reminder of, hey, you had a crappy day. It was hard, but it was worth it because don't forget, this is why we're here. It's for the people that are outside these walls. And so I, I think it's one of those things. It's like you're you're really saying it's not just something you put on the wall. It's it's all over the place. Don't yeah. just pick one medium of communication. It's constant. It's ongoing. It's omnipresent.
1: Yeah. And you, it's not like one of those one off things where you have one annual meeting where you're like, these are our values and you can right. walk away from it. And I like what you said, you know, thinking about telling stories. Cause the next step, once you buy into this as a leader is that all of your leadership need to buy into it. And now they need to be able to articulate it in their own voice with their own stories in their own functional silos or wherever they work in your company. And then that can trickle down to where it actually changes day to day, like work and action and the decision making, right? Which probably. You have lots of decisions happening in any company every day. And so everybody in your organization needs to be able to tell their own story of what those values look like for them. Obviously, that aligns with the story that you're telling as a leader. Stories are really powerful. They are.
0: It's hard to memorize rote statements, but when there's a story that goes with it, I mean, everyone can repeat a story, you know, because there's just this thing in us where narrative kind of captivates us, it pulls us in. There's typically good opportunities for humor. You can make it engaging and fun. And uh, I think that's a key thing and communicating the values. It's not just something on the wall that's kind of the, the one or two words, but it's the stories that are, this is what these words look like in action.
1: Absolutely. Because you, you get people's emotional and mental engagement. So we, we want their hearts and their minds, mm-hmm. right? We want all of them engaged. So the next step, though, once you get the language across your organization is you have to know what you're going to measure. How okay. do you know that you – You achieved your values. What does
0: success look like? What does
1: success look like? So then that kind of goes into the strategy phase of saying, okay, what does that look like across all of our different divisions? And, you know, if they bring a number to me, am I only, if you only reward them based on profit and revenue or cost savings, that will outweigh value and purpose beyond it.
0: It Actually, I I would say that's your real value. Yeah. Right? So you, you can have a stated value.
1: Uh-huh. But whatever
0: whatever is your actual value is gonna be what you put energy and time and money and it's it's the things you end up prioritizing are kind of your true values.
1: Absolutely. So I definitely think if you really want it to go from the C suite to the frontline truck driver, cashier, yeah. you know, janitor, um, you need to think about how how do we measure, you know, what we've achieved in, you know, serving people and, you know, helping people get debt free or wh- whatever your goals are. That you have numbers and metrics and you're tracking it because even though we're not, we're not minimizing it to a number, but seeing that, that kind of like needle move, seeing, you know, the, the numbers go up, it excites people because they're emotionally connected to the story. Mm-hmm. And now they want to see what the impact of it is. And numbers help us measure things, right? right. They help us see impact.
0: Well, it's like, I think of it like a scoreboard. You Absolutely. Know, to say that football is, is all about um, the, the clock and the number of points and the first down on the scoreboard, it's like, that's not football. Mm-hmm. The the game is the energy. It's the crowd. It's the smell of popcorn and beer in the air. It's the Super Bowl. It's the playoff. You know, it's like there's a feeling that is football. There's an American connection that we have to it. But if we don't have a scoreboard, well, mm-hmm. we don't have we don't have football. Like there's there's not a way to know did we get a first down and is the, is the ball still ours or do we have to give it to the other team? And yeah. it's, it sounds like you're saying these are these are reinforcers of this broader, more emotional thing that we're trying to capture. By having a way of keeping score.
1: Absolutely, because we don't just celebrate the popcorn and the hot dogs. Football wouldn't be that much fun if that was like why everybody was cheering in the stands. We cheer touchdowns and points mm-hmm. going on the scoreboard, right? That's where you start jumping up and down and singing Rocky Top. Exactly. Um, if, you, if you're cheering for the right team.
0: <laughs> I see what you did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to argue with that, but we might get some fan mail on that one, so I'll I'll forward it directly to you, and you can reply.
1: I don't think they're a threat right now. Sorry. Ooh, ow, oh, ow! I know. Uh.
0: Uh, okay, so we got value mission. And then strategy is when it turns into, what are we going to track? What does success look like? Say more about tracking. Um, I know profit is, w- is certainly one of the things we're tracking. But when it comes to key performance indicators, mm-hmm. sometimes we get – it's like just because it can be tracked, it doesn't necessarily need to. Or we, we can build out a dashboard with 50 things on it. Yeah. And the team's going, which one's really important? And you're going, it's all important. And look how good we are at dashboard building. How do we get that right balance of we're tracking enough, but it doesn't become our full-time job to just track everything?
1: Yeah, this is this is a favorite question for logisticians because um, there's so many things to track. Logistician, logisticians—that's so like a logistics person, okay. a logistician. Is that uh-huh. what you are? I'm—I technically, I suppose so. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. More of a philosoph- a philosophical logistician because mm-hmm. I'm
0: a. People people you mentor, are like the logi? Like logi the logi, yeah. And,
1: I don't think you're ever gonna find any many people in the logistics field that call themselves <laughs> logisticians. That was I apologize for that academic. You're geeking out again and I like it. I'm, I'm really as long sorry. as you do it
0: with a smile, it's safe.
1: <laughs> so you so when you talk about measurement, you're so right. You can overmeasure and you can drown in metrics. And never see where you're actually going, mm. which is actually unstrategic. That's getting right. lost in tactics. Um, or you can have it so, um, you know, big, you know, or you just have like five metrics, you know, where it's not quite enough to motivate. So you have to think about metrics that motivate people to action. So metrics
0: that motivate people to action.
1: Right. So if you look at your employees and you say, okay, our, you know, we have this, this purpose beyond profit. Um, let's say you really want to run an organization that... Helps employees to build skill sets to go on and um, have more opportunities beyond your company. And I've worked with a couple companies like this. They have a really quality product, Mm. but really at the root, they're training people for careers. Like,
0: what's an example of
1: a company? Um, So I worked with an organization. um, It's a a coffee roastery. I talk about them in my book called I Have a Bean. And 100% of their employees um, have come out of the prison system. Mm. And it's really hard to hire people in that space because, you know, even payroll companies don't want the Mm. liability, right? And so, But um, Pete Leonard and I have been was looking at it saying, but they have amazing skills. And they don't have a, a an outlet for these amazing skills. So he's built a whole company around impacting these people's wow. lives.
0: Someone's gotta take a chance on them if they're gonna if they're gonna make yeah. it in the next season.
1: Absolutely. And then I worked with this really wonderful organization in Indonesia um, called telunus and they're a five star private island resort. It's a really rough space to do research at. Mm. And I, I really enjoyed it thoroughly. Suffering for the cause. Absolutely. But they hire, you know, they hire from all the islands around them where education is really you know, it's, it's non-existent. Mm. And then, so their employees learn to read and write, they learn carpentry skills, and they can take all of these skills and now be viable in the market in Singapore and all these other places around them where they would they wouldn't have been competitive before. So there's some examples of companies that really have strategic purpose, have narrow KPIs, but KPIs that really motivate their employees.
0: So like with I Have a Bean, if we're taking this, they got this purpose, they're giving people a second chance at life. What would the KPIs, you said, you want to have KPIs that motivate people towards action. So, yeah. like in their world, what are examples of those KPIs?
1: So they would be looking at things like you know they're they're always looking at bean quality. You know the the roasting, the roasting process. They have this amazing roasting process, um, they're also looking at you know they they look at sales like everybody else, but they also look at placement and where do people go. When they leave, I have it being, how many opportunities do they have? And those mm-hmm. sorts of things, um, you know, and I don't know if they have a scoreboard that they're, you know, like ticking the numbers off, but there's that that culture and expectation. You know, I, I got to talk with an employee there who was interviewing for multiple, he was an engineer, and he had multiple engineering opportunities now because of the time he spent with that company. And those kinds of metrics, like if I work and I invest in this company and I learn this process, you know, these these are really engaged employees. And they have this expectation that I'm a part of something that helps people to become, you know, who they want to be. It's pretty cool.
0: It's super cool. And it's important for that new team member joining. If, If they didn't know this, the stories, why we actually exist is to help people coming out of prison and to develop the skills and help them launch into the next season of life. And therefore, we track these metrics and we prioritize these activities that are empowering that why. You would think we're just a coffee company. Yeah, I mean, you, you would you would prioritize other things based on just being a coffee company. But mm-hmm. for that founder to go, hey, we're actually we're actually kind of not a coffee company. We're disguised as a coffee coffee company. What what we really do and what we really value and track is we're giving people a second chance at life. You yeah. know, and it, it it changes the whole operation. It changes everything we prioritize, what we do and don't do, and from a team building standpoint, it lets people know this is what winning looks like here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But I, I'll tell you what, they have the top one percent of beans in the world that they source and their coffee is amazing. So they have they also that. have yeah. a product and a business so it's not a
0: you're not gonna compromise on the the vehicle of the coffee, you know, it's it's it is a coffee company. Yeah. You can do that with excellence. You know, I, I would say that makes you even more powerful in your ministry. You know, if you want to call it a mission or a ministry. We yep. we call what we do here missional, but really it's a ministry. But we know that if we do things half butt. Mm-hmm. It, it taints the brand to a level. They go, oh, there's there's a faith based organization. Of course, it's you know it's not at standard. And uh, I really think business owners need to think about if if you're going to put your faith out there, you better do it with excellence.
1: Yeah, and you don't want your past employees to apologize for having worked for you. Yeah, because that that's brand and reputation.
0: Yeah, because in their case, it would. It's not just a rehab program. It's like it's a legit job. Yeah. And, th- and they're making. You said top 1% of the beans.
1: Yeah, in yeah. In terms of quality. Yeah. And, oh. you know, the, the Tolunas, obviously that example is so much far afield because it's an island in Indonesia. But, um, you know, their, their tracking is really interesting in terms of the community and what they're doing. You know, like kids that now have education. Because people can read and write in their communities and wells that get dug because of guests that come into the resort and you know after three days of laying on the beach decide they want to dig wells and mm-hmm. no, just kidding. <laughs> but all of the, all of the different things that come I'm through it uh, yeah uh, you know and so there's there's just so many different ways that you can think beyond just bottom line revenue um, that really motivate and excite people to be a part of what you're doing.
0: So once you've set up these metrics, what are the things that make sure that you keep them in front of you? You know, because I've been guilty of building a dashboard and I was super in this zone of like getting all our stuff organized and making sure I know what we we're going to track. And and then I get busy running the business or there's an issue with the team and one week turns into two, turns into half a year, I haven't looked at it. Yeah. And so how do we automate some of these things and what are the right rhythms that we can have that whether it's meeting structures or emails or what? like what's the right way to make sure that we don't lose sight of it?
1: Yeah, I think it's really important that, you know, the numbers are regularly tracked. So even if you're not necessarily talking about it every week or every morning, and maybe you do have some metrics you do talk about every day, um, probably not all of them, um, but that they are consistently being tracked. Because tracking is a huge deal, especially in a small company, if you don't have a huge Internet system, if you don't have a lot of, you know, if you're if you're living in Excel. Mm. Constant tracking will save you a lot of time and heartache, right? Mm -hmm. So you're not going back a year later like, shoot, I haven't tracked any of my KPIs. Now I need to go back through everything I've done and try to build out this huge report, right? So tracking consistently as you go really helps not only to help you focus as you go, but you don't have to talk about it necessarily all the time. And the nice thing about tracking as you go is you have a regular cadence of keeping track of the data and storing it somewhere where a lot of people have access to that you can pull out key points when you need them. Yeah. When you have different challenges, because if those KPIs are truly the value and purpose of your company, when you have conflict, those values and purposes might be on the line. Bingo. And it might be a good time yeah. to pull those KPIs up and be like, last month we did this. We're, you know, we're, we're trailing right here. What happened in this space? And, you know, we let relational things sometimes overpower putting out fires. Logistics is a lot. There's a lot of things that go wrong in a global supply chain. And you can't let the the day-to-day tactics overwhelm the bigger purpose of where you're headed.
0: Yeah, it's like having visibility. You know, you're looking out the windshield, but then you've got this this dashboard in your car in front of you. And you, you know how fast you're going, you know how you're pacing. I know for me early on in building Entree Leadership, you know, this is the days before we had a CRM
3: mm-hmm.
0: and like smart systems that actually made this stuff automated for us. I did dig into Excel. I did build the budget in Excel and really had to put a lot of I, I read a few books on dashboards. I put a lot of energy into what would be the best KPIs. And then how do we how do we visualize them in a way with the right graphs and charts? Again, not overwhelming, not too many, but enough that told a story. Yeah. And I knew I knew myself and I said, I'm not gonna update this all the time. And so I had this amazing lady on our team. She's still on the team, Hannah. Mm-hmm. I said, Hannah, you're the most diligent person I know every day. We're going to take our sales information, revenue, etc., update this dashboard, and then I want you to print it and put it on my desk and the sales team's desk, and this is we called it the newspaper. And every morning, it was like, it's right there. and We're looking at it. And most of the time, it was just that reminder of like, okay, yeah, we're on track. It's good. But if we saw something dip, we saw it early enough that we could huddle the team up and do something about it. And again, those metrics being hey, these, these are lives changed. It's not just dollars in the door, but it's these are the customers we're serving. And there really is something about keeping it in front of you, just like in football. I mean, yep. at the end of the end zone, that scoreboard's up there. Yeah. You're not staring at it 100% of the time, but you need to be able to quick glance and go, are we winning? Yeah. As we kind of wrap up here, and you're listening to this going, okay, I want to know the top 10 to 20 companies you've worked with. What are the habits or behaviors of the founder that, that I need to be doing to make sure that we're bulletproof on this stuff when it comes to making sure we have a profit and we protect it. And then when we get that profit, we're putting it back into the right places that are going to feel our purpose.
1: Yeah. I would say awareness of the people around them. So when you think about entrepreneurs you know that fail, a lot of time it comes down to relationship and the original team not working out. And so when I look at really large companies, sometimes I'm amazed at how personable a Fortune 500 CEO is, how much like he engages and sees you like a person Mm -hmm. and really listens and asks questions. And um, those are organizations where because their leader is like that, they feel valued within that organization and they're going to show up and work and work hard. And that's really important. So I think that the one thing that has just surprised me over the years and working with a lot of different companies is, is people at the top that really have an awareness of all the different people that their company impacts, and they take time to be really purposeful in how they interact with them.
0: It really is about the person. It really is. So as we wrap up, any final thoughts?
1: I think at the end of the day, it's you have to figure out how to make profit. That's you got to do it. Otherwise, you're not being responsible with the resources. If you have investors or, you know, if you have customers and you're not profitable, you can't continue delivering your product to them. Mm -hmm. And so you need to do that. But if that is your only goal and you achieve profitability, then what? And this is where it's exciting to understand not just the profit, but the value that your company brings to the marketplace. So I'm not talking about your personal values. I'm talking about the value of your processes, the value of your operations to your employees, the value of the product to your customers. And if you understand that, that value that will sustain you and help you grow beyond just figuring out your margin, driving revenue and, you know, following that bottom line. So track those three things, but also track things beyond that, because that's going to give you more impetus and motivation to grow and scale or just so back into your own company. And it's way more exciting if you have those additional stories, those additional pieces that you get to add in. Um, numbers don't tell the story. Stories are stories because people and emotions mm. and other things are a part of them. I agree. Very
0: yeah. good. Well, the book is called Wisdom-Based Business, Go Figure applying biblical principles and evidence-based research for a purposeful and profitable business. Hannah, you're a joy. One day, maybe I'll have as many PhDs as you, um, but until then, we're gonna have you keep coming back and telling people how it works. Thanks for taking your, uh, your time in here and uh, sharing with us, it's been great. It
1: was really fun talking with you, thank you. All
0: right, guys, great conversation with Hannah. Well, as we've talked about, you have to get to profit. I mean, profit really matters. So don't hear me wrong, we're not saying... Don't worry about profit. We're just saying, assuming you are profitable at that point, how do you manage it well? We're going to talk about that right after this.
4: Here's a math refresher there are only 24 hours in a day, so you and your team need to streamline time consuming tasks to focus on the activities that make money. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, saving time and cutting manual tasks and errors. So join the more than 37,000 smart companies like Ramsey Solutions that have done the math and are boosting their efficiency with NetSuite. And right now, you can download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to drive the right behaviors for your business. Absolutely free at NetSuite.com slash Ramsey. That's NetSuite.com slash Ramsey to get your own
2: KPI checklist. This episode is brought to you by Trainual. Even when you're great at running the day-to-day, a lot of leaders struggle to delegate. But delegation is a critical leadership skill, and empowering your team by building that skill just takes having the right system in place. Well, Trainual is that system. And it's a game changer. Trainual is an easy-to-use app that helps document and organize everything about your company in one place. Clear outlines for every role and responsibility. Step-by-step training for all your SOPs and employee handbook content. An org chart and directory. You can build accountability tests. Employees can even use Trainual's powerful search to answer their own questions. Companies using Trainual are cutting training time and related costs by up to 75%. Get started with over 300 templates and their world-class support. It's time to get your entire team playing from the same playbook. Visit trainual.com slash entree today for a demo and get 15% off your first year with code entree 15 That's 15% off at T-R-A-I-N-U-A-L dot com slash entree with code E-N-T-R-E-1-5. All right,
0: folks, as I mentioned at the top, we have back by popular demand at this point, George Camel. It's an honor to be here. Welcome back. So George is a Ramsey Network host, and you've been having these kind of behind-the-scenes conversations with Ramsey leaders about how does this stuff really work here? And this time, you sat down with our CFO Mark Floyd. Tell us about it.
3: Yes, we talked all about profits. And as our chief financial officer, this guy knows a thing or two about profits. So we talked about how do you manage it well? What do you do with it? Do you reinvest it back in the
0: company? Do you put it in savings? Do you hire more team members? Do you share it with the team? It can get complex. You know, we've worked with a lot of business owners who have achieved the, And it's a big milestone, but like making a a profit, making making consistently over time. But then you go, okay, well, what what do I do with it? You know, like with it, there's all these places you can send the profit once you've established that you've made some.
3: Yeah. Making it is one thing. Figuring out what to do with it is another. And so we have really got asked the question, how do you manage profits well?
5: First, you'd be out of business uh, if you didn't have profit, right? You can only uh, whatever capital you may have raised to, to get the doors open, saved. If you're just a small entrepreneur, you just saved up some money so I can go open this business. Well, So clearly, let's just say, to keep the doors open, I got to have profit. So that's just kind of fundamental baseline from there. Um, But presumably, if you're a small owner, you're paying yourself some salary in in your business. But that's not why you got into that. It's probably just to draw a normal salary out of it. You wanted to eventually turn it into something and make more money and make more money. So clearly, uh, a first level of profit would be to go hey can I pay myself an owner bonus outside of uh, what I pay myself in salary so th- th- there, there's a start um, you you'd keep I mean there, there's all sorts of things I, I could go you could go down the path of it builds value in the business uh, in case you in I, you may not get into it with the idea of, hey, I want to build this so I can sell it, though a lot of people do. But over time, you might go, I, I want to do this, and then I want to move on to something else. Unless you've got profits being generated in that business, uh, you're not building any value in, in that business uh, for someone else to coming along and pay handsomely for those profits. If you're an entrepreneur,
3: these people have drive. And so no one's good just saying, all right, let's not do better than last year. Right. No one thinks that way, right? I hope not. And so to do that, you've got to have more profit and more margin in your business. So, what does that look like for the small business owner who may be going i got to pay myself but i also have to cover the overhead and the team and the salaries and invest in some new stuff over here what does that management look like
5: well so i was i was going to go to the investment you just used that word another reason to have profits is uh, then I, I can i can plan so i have got i've got some level of profit coming in and then i can be making plans about what i how i ought to invest that profit uh because then that profit only you know, and that investment only begets more profits. And there's an Old Testament word for you there, George. Begets, begets. Yes, I love yeah, that. Yeah. Go to Matthew and see all that, you know, lineage or whatever. Uh So you haven't, you, you've got dollars to invest in the business to grow. And so then it turns around and it just keeps producing more. So it's all the more reason to try to be driving profits. So you can be thinking about the the business long-term as opposed to just short-term.
3: And when we talk about investments, we're not talking about mutual funds here. No, no. We're talking about, are we looking to make a new hire this year? Do it, we
5: need a new building? Those kinds of things? Exactly. Investing in the business. Because if I've if I got two salespeople and that's when I... I can afford today I go make more profits I might be able to employ two more next year so that they can drive more and so I'm not talking about taking money outside of that business and clearly that's what you should do with what that owner you know in salary or bonus whatever they take out of the business but inside of that business stick to your knitting in in that business and and but be looking for ways that where you can drive growth within that business and you need profits to invest in those areas we do that around her all the time you either uh, invest in plant facility like we are with buildings or you invest in people and those are the two places where we're mainly investing dollars
3: so it's the physical objects like buildings and com- right. we need new computers and it's people if we need more help we need this guy to you know the sales role to drive more revenue to create more profit and so it's the cyclical
5: nature of it is what it seems to me a- absolutely and another a uh, thing that 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 business owner ought to be thinking about is hey what what if i got into this from a uh, Missional standpoint. I mean, they they think this is a product that I've got that I, I want the community and uh, the, the the world to have. If you don't have profits, then you can't continue into that business to do that. So it, it, it could also be just that not that I want to invest in the business, but I got to keep my doors open so I can I can go do what I was put on the earth to do. Kind of uh, mentality or thinking. So that's, uh, that's another another reason to have the profits, and then uh, clearly. The, eventually, you want to reward yourself, reward your leaders, and reward your team if you can through some sort of profit sharing or something like that. We can come back to yeah. profit sharing. But ultimately, uh, out of a generous spirit of, as as an owner, if, if you're making uh, plenty of money, then you can go, and hey, now I can share with my team in some fashion. And there's a
3: lot of ways. You're talking about all kinds of ways what you do with the profit. It goes to invest in your team, invest in new stuff. You can share it with your team. Uh, You've obviously got to make payroll and all the overhead. So is there a certain kind of formula or filter that you use when it comes to managing profit?
5: Every every business would be different. Um, So if you're managing your profit and you had any kind of seasonality or – uh, to your business, then uh, managing that profit means probably setting dollars aside um, that I need to save because I see something coming or you're in a business that requires large capital expenditures. I, I, I'm, I'm running a business that I know I'm going to have to buy two new trucks next year. Um, I'm, I'm in a landscaping business. I, I've got to have equipment and I've had the same stuff for five years. It's breaking down. And so how, how am I managing my profits? I'm going to be setting aside enough money. Again, that's really just the same thing as investing into your business. But in that case, I'm kind of thinking of it as replacing a tiny, Keep your business, you know, up to par, up to speed.
3: So just like in a personal budget, if I know I need a new car next year, we're gonna create a sinking fund and say, all right, I'm gonna save up two hundred dollars every month to get me to my goal by next year. Right. And the same thing needs to happen in business. You gotta make a list of all those things that are coming down the pipeline and go, okay, how much do I think this is gonna cost and start put away that much? Uh, before you do anything else other than pay yourself and pay all your payroll and all that.
5: Right. So sp- specifically identify those items. And then in general, you probably just want to be, it's it's no different than what we teach on the, on the personal side. You're going to want to have an emergency fund as well, you know, to try to have uh, six months worth of expenses to cover if the, you know, I, I don't know if you're in a business that the well would completely dry up where the customers would go away, but in a pandemic situation, if you were in a restaurant business, that may have been what was the case. Uh um, so, you, that, that was an absurd example, but, uh, boy, that ought to teach a lot of people a lot about what happened in the past year yeah. about the, the reason to be driving profits and then taking some of those and reinvesting into the business, but at the same time setting some aside in what I'd, I would call an emergency fund for your business.
3: Well, it reminds me what we did last year during the pandemic is we kind of took that route of, all right, we got to kind of buckle down here. We, we're going to have a hiring freeze. We're going to kind of make sure we're putting away some money so that we can keep the ship afloat. So just talk to us through what that looked like for our business and how that applies to the small business.
5: Uh, back to the uh, concept of profit sharing uh, that, that I, I spoke of, like if, if a owner had enough that he could share with his team and ser- uh, share with his leaders. Uh, in that case right there, we just we stood up as leaders and said, hey, we're going to take less because we don't know what's coming. Um, and, oh, by the way, you're going to get less. We're not going to cut your pay, but we are going to take away profit sharing for a couple, you know, however we didn't, we didn't know at that time. How long turn, it takes. Turn, yeah. It turned out to be, you know, about three months that we just set that to the side and everything was kind of okay, but we still didn't pay it until we felt like we were completely out of the woods. But that, that was just managing to your bottom line, managing your, manage your business, managing your profits uh, for something that was unforeseen. We didn't know about it. So I don't know what's around that corner. So let me plan for that and, and uh, set stuff aside.
3: Yeah, and not a single layoff to be found during that time for us, which was absolutely incredible. The way that you and our leadership team guided us through that, you know, it was a turbulent time where we didn't know what was going to happen. What is this going to affect the profits? Is this going to affect our payroll and hires and all those things? So that's a – it was just proving that our plan works when it comes to money, whether it's personal or business.
5: Right, Right. I agree.
3: So what can a small business owner do tomorrow? to manage their profit better? Let's say that they're kind of feeling all over the place with it. They're paying themselves a little bit. They're making their payroll, but they feel like they can do better.
5: Uh, it, as a CFO, I have always have to say this. This is like a, a disclaimer that you have to say, like with a, like if you're a lawyer, <laughs> like okay. a lawyer or a bad pharmaceutical, you know, whatever. I've, I've got to say this. You better know your numbers. It, you you how how can I be planning to set aside profits if I don't understand my my income statement my P and L? And so you better know your actual numbers. You better be budgeting uh, so that you know when when I'm off track because am I off track because of something I'm not investing in? Um, you, you've got to let your numbers speak to you, uh, and and so that's that's the first place to start. It, it, we can talk profits all day long, but if you're not managing your your business through the numbers and and, and just not, you got to be in reality. Yeah. You can't yeah. be in La La Land. And you, you can't be off. Uh, I, I know everybody that most entrepreneurs that get into business aren't excited about. Hey, I have a P&L to run at some point in time. No, they're excited about the business opportunity that they've got, whether they're selling something, the interaction with their customer, whatever it might be. But if you neglect the other side of the business, you're the other side of the business being running that P&L uh you're you're not gonna be doing that very long, whatever it is that you're doing, so again, you know, know your numbers, know your actuals, know your budgets, and be you know constantly on top of them
3: and we talk about if you if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. the old Zig Ziglar quote it seems like the same happens in business. you've got to have some goals and some vision, and you've got to know what the upcoming q three budget's gonna be and I know we do a lot of that around here where you, all the leaders have to go all right, submit your budgets because we got to know what's coming up and right. we got to aim for that and track it and make sure that we're on target. And that's a big part of your job is to go, "Hey, you're not on target. What's going on here?" and to help all of the different business units within our, our organization. So, is that part of it is as tracking and kind of going, hey, are we on par? Is it, are we in the green? Are we in the, you know, oh, what's going on? Yeah, a-
5: absolutely. From our standpoint, and that's, and we spend a lot of time at each month in walking through, you know, our, here's where our actual results, but we, and we, so we talk about what maybe affected some of those actual numbers, but we're, we're going to compare it to budget to know where we, where we are off. And most importantly, from, from this standpoint of when we're this topic of managing our profits, we 're doing that so that we know how that 's affecting what our profits are out there what 's coming down the road that 's affecting what we were planning on for profits for say the next twelve months? Is there anything in there that 's going to then take us off task of being able to invest? Are we not being able to make the hires today that are going to affect our profits for tomorrow? Um, are we not setting aside enough money to go buy some piece of capital uh, item so that uh, so that we can grow our business or uh, uh, it's it's looking at the current state but it's also with the future state in mind as to when we're trying to manage those uh, those numbers
3: yeah we're juggling the present and the future exactly seeing where we're at and making sure we're on track for where we want to go i love it Well, we do a lot of profit sharing around here. We're known for it. It's something that I've had. uh, I've got the pleasure of enjoying uh, my eight years here. So if a business wants to start doing that, they go, I love the way that Ramsey does profit sharing. How can a business owner listening take a first step towards that?
5: I've had so many conversations over the years when we do um, uh, some events, and I end up meeting with with people, and that's that's one of the very first questions. I, they love the concept of profit sharing, and boy, can I do that! And my first question always is, "So, do you make profits today?" <laughs> that's the first step. <laughs> that's the Just first step. Profits. Um, and 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 I, it, you'd be shocked that on occasion has been like, well, you know, I'm, I'm either not sure or not very much. And, and so you've got to make enough profits and I'll go back to the very beginning, uh, when you got to make enough profits to share, but you need to make enough profits that as an owner that you're rewarding yourself for your blood, sweat and tears. And, and then you eventually go, okay, now I feel like I've crossed some threshold where I do feel like I have enough to share with the team. Um, you got to ask a couple of questions. One of those questions would be when I share this profit with that team, however many team members divided by whatever it is I'm talking about, is it enough to, uh, is it going to get their attention? Is it enough to matter? Or, or is it I'm giving them a $5 Chick-fil-A, uh, you know, uh, shout out. Chick-fil-A. You might as well
3: just get them lunch <laughs> at that point.
5: Yes. Uh, don't don't build it up to be something that is going to be a disappointment. So uh, so make sure it's enough where you go, they're going to feel this. You know, if, if it's $100 a month or whatever it is, they're going to feel this and they're going to love it. Yes, but if it's uh if it's going to be a wah, wah, don't do it. Don't do it. Wait. Uh, just be, be patient. Build your business. Reinvest those profits, uh, instead of in, in, it st- sounds awful, instead of into the team, but invest them in the business so that then eventually you can get to that point where you got enough, uh, profit to share. So you got to have enough margin. Got to have uh, plenty. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't try to, don't try to, don't squeeze, don't hamstring the business. I guess is the best way of saying it. Don't hamstring the business by, Getting all eager about a profit-sharing plan that then will take money out of the business that you could have used for growth or it just didn't do the thing that you thought it was yeah, going to do. You want and, to and actually incentivize, incentivize the team. Exactly.
3: You want them to feel like they're a part of this too, and when they see waste over here, they go, hey, we need to cut that expense. This is affecting my profit-sharing, yeah. right? It kind of gives you that self-employed mentality, which is one of our core values is, hey, if you're the owner of the business, how would you do it? And that usually leads you to a good result there. So when it comes to profit sharing, you get up there on our stage once a month and let the entire team know how we did in profit sharing. Are we up? Are we down? Year over year? All the numbers. And you say something at the end that I want you to say right here on the Entree Leadership Podcast because I think we can make profits complicated. It sounds big. It sounds stuffy. But it comes down to one simple sentence. So share that with
5: us. Hopefully I'll do it right because I've butchered it up on stage before. Right, George? It's always entertaining either way. Either way. way. Uh, We always say, Hey, everybody, you know how profits happen, right? It's when revenues go up and expenses go down. Remember, you're all self-employed. Yeah, I I've had so many team members come up and say, "I love that. That's my favorite part. That's my favorite moment of the month." Um, the a they're remind, a they're probably getting some extra money, so that's why they really like it. But b they're reminded of of uh you know we're here to to make a profit. We're here to serve others, but uh, we get those certificates of appreciation, as Dave likes to say, uh, in the in the form of that. And and so why not give those certificates of appreciation to your team uh, because they've helped generate those profits? So let's share with them in that case.
3: Well, Mark, I love your spirit, your personality, your attitude, and, of course, your talent and passion when it comes to the numbers. So thanks for keeping the ship here at Ramsey running uh, running well, a uh, well-oiled machine, as, as we like to say, and keep those profits coming.
5: Hey, my, my pleasure, and it's always good being with you, George.
0: All right, thanks, George and Mark. Guys, I got to tell you, when I became a VP here and I was first responsible for a business unit, this whole end of the business, the budgeting the accounting, the profit management stuff, I was very overwhelmed. You know, I didn't know exactly what to do with it. And Mark sat down with me and he's very patient. He spent a lot of time answering all of my very naive green questions on this stuff and and really mentored me and a lot of the VPs around here on how we do this stuff in a way that we can operate with excellence forecasting and being able to see what our profitability and cash flow is out in the future, this is a skill you can learn. Trust me, if I can learn to do it, I'm a college dropout, struggled in math all through high school. If I can learn to do it, you can do it too. And to give you guys kind of the cheat sheet on this, if you're going to start somewhere and say, okay, I, I'm not sure I'm in, you know, the the upper stratosphere of, you know, the accounting space, uh, but I know as a business owner, I need to do some of this stuff. Where do I start? Well, Mark has put together, along with our coaching team, a free resource for you that's going to give you guys that cheat sheet, that pathway into the reports that you need to be looking at consistently. They're going to help you stay on track in your business. So six financial reports that can save your company. It's a free guide. All you got to do is just click on the link in the show notes. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the show. If you did, please subscribe, leave us a review. We're always grateful for that. And uh, thanks for helping us get the word out. That's how this thing grows. Also, if you're a business owner between about two and 200 employees, we'd love to have a live conversation with you to find out how we're doing for you. We wanna improve the podcast and we wanna do it based on your feedback. So if you wanna help us out with that, click on the link down in the show notes and our producer, Tim, will get on the phone with you. And uh, we really appreciate you helping us out there. As always, You can follow us on social media at Entree Leadership, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We'd love to have you jump in the conversation. This episode was produced by Tim Holt, edited by Zach Bennett, mixed and mastered by Will Rudder. I'm your host, Daniel Tardy. And on behalf of the entire Entree Leadership team and George Camel, thanks for listening. Until next time, keep learning and keep leading.
3: If you enjoy this podcast, you should check out other great
2: podcasts from the Ramsey Network, like The Ken Coleman Show. Are you doing what you were born to do? I'm Ken Coleman, host of The Ken Coleman Show, where I give you practical advice to help you discover your purpose and then map out a plan to get you there. From accounting to advertising, from plumbing to production, you were created to fill a unique role, and the world needs what you have to offer. Join me on The Ken Coleman Show wherever you listen to podcasts.